Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. It's been an interesting few weeks of debate about the Trinity. And for those of you who haven't heard, we'll bring you up to speed. Carl, Amy, and Todd will give a brief review of the debate, why it's so important, and explain what they mean by headship as it pertains to Christ and the church. Let's join the conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. And as it's a bully pulpit, we're going to follow our typical tradition of starting off with a nomination for the Desperate Theologizer Award. Amy, gather you have a first-rate candidate for the DT Award this week. Yes, I do. There is a website um, that tells us about sharing the gospel with henna. Mm. So, henna stories dot com and i mean move over adult coloring books because this is like taking it up like 10 notches and we have a heart art coloring book and in this book you'll find story after story with henna designs that help you creatively communicate truths from scripture so we can draw like um or we can I don't know what you call it, painting with henna. I don't know what it's called. Um, apples, you know, on right there on a hand. Yeah. So then we can tell the story of creation and the fall and um, all these beautiful little designs. And it's very pretty. It's for kids and adults alike, sharing gospel stories through the art of henna. Nice. Fantastic. Hey, Todd, how long do you think it'll be before the PCA sets up a gospel <laughs> henna study committee? <laughs> well, I, I, I think that it'll be right on the heels of the new clown college that we're proposing. So um, I'm, I'm Mich- excited Michel about Henna. That. Not systematic <laughs> right. henna, but missional the, henna. The Department of, the of Missional go. Henna is I'm always on very making soon. the gospel pretty. You know, let's just dress <laughs> it up and make it beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, International Mission Board, share the gospel with Henna. You are this week's Desperate Theologizers. very happy that you've joined us uh, for this uh, edition of Bully Pulpit. I, we wanted to try to give just a very brief um, uh, overview and a few thoughts on the recent uh, brouhaha over the doctrine of the Trinity that, uh, that we've been involved in. It, has, uh, it is a, a, a controversy that has drawn um, responses from around the world. Uh, I'm thankful for the fact that it has us talking about some really, really important doctrines that I think have been neglected uh, in recent years, namely uh, theology proper. Uh, but it's caused some, some real uh, tension in a lot of relationships, and there's been lots of accusations and counter-accusations. Carl, I wonder, 
if if you could just give a a little bit of an idea to our listeners who might be a, a little overwhelmed by all of the exchanges in this controversy, as well as just some of the nature of, of, of the esoteric theology that we're talking about, if you could kind of encapsulate um, briefly kind of what, what, what is at the center of this debate. Yeah, it's, it, on one level, it, it's quite technical, but I think there are a couple of things that, that every Christian should grasp. Whichever side you come down on, the, the important elements of the debate are this. I think, first of all, uh, there is a trajectory or a tradition of evangelical theology that seems to be fairly dominant at the moment, which regards the the Son, the second person of the Trinity, as eternally subordinated to the Father, or eternally subordinate to the Father. That carries with it numerous theological implications. If you want to go on to the Mortification of Spin website, you'll find articles on this and take you to links elsewhere that will probably help to to open it up for you. So on the one hand, you've got this this piece of Trinitarian theology, and then you have this move that is made with that theology from the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son of being one of, if you like, authority and submission to the relationship that exists between men and women, where men have authority and women submit. So it's fed into ongoing discussion of what is known as complementarianism, this idea that the the sexes are different, that men hold a position of authority, women hold uh, a position of submission relative to men. It's become part of that argument. It's fed into debates about women's ordination, male headship uh, in the home, those kind of things. So what starts as a fairly on one level, esoteric debate has fairly immediate practical consequences once you, A, accept this, what I would regard as revised understanding of the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, and second, the connection of that revised understanding of the Trinity to the relationships uh, between men and women. So it may appear abstruse, but actually it has very practical consequences. Right. And the reason why mortification of spin, I wouldn't say got involved in this, but sort of almost virtually triggered the debate uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago was the fact that a, a book uh, has just come out, written, one of one of the authors is, is Owen Strand from Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, that really popularizes this understanding of the Trinity relative to that understanding of, of men and women. And at that point, when, when a book like that is produced that's going to be read by people in the pew, yeah. debates that perhaps have been restricted to academic circles within evangelicalism suddenly become of burning importance for pastors, elders, lay people everywhere. Right. And for those who, who listen in on this debate and, you know, they're, they're familiar enough with the scriptures to say, well, okay, now Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but yours be done, and, and that he submitted to the Father's will, they would then say, so what, what's the problem? And, and then that's where it comes down to kind of a historical biblical metaphysic that, that helps us distinguish between Christ and his earthly mediatorial role, where he absolutely did. Um, submit himself to the will of the Father because he became uh, uh, like like one of us in all ways except uh, for sin. So it's a distinction between Christ and his his earthly incarnate state and and the eternal Son, um, who is ontologically um, in in essence one with the Father. And the Church has historically never affirmed uh, that that 
that that relationship of submission um, and authority um, is imported into the eternal uh, Trinitarian essence. Is, is, is that summing it up fairly well? Yes. Yeah, so when you say the church has never, of course, one has to be a little careful. Right, right. We're really talking here about what was decided in 381, the Council right. of Constantinople, towards the end of the fourth century. That's when the Trinitarian debate is by and large closed. Before that, you know, the 350s and the 360s, you'll, you'll find theologians talking in, in terms of subordination and submission. But the church really closes the debate in, in 381. And that's been... Some of the confusion in the discussion has been some theologians seem to think that 325, the Council of Nicaea, yeah. is is the key. And I think probably being perhaps a, a little misled by the fact that we talk about the Nicene Creed, right. we recite the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed as we have it is pretty much the creed that was agreed in 381. Mm-hmm. There's a, a little bit of tinkering that takes place after uh, 381 at Constantinople, but what we have as the Nicene Creed is really the creed of the First Council of Constantinople. And you're absolutely right, Todd. The Church typically makes a distinction mm-hmm. between the ontological Trinity, the eternal aspects of the Trinity, and the economic aspects of the Trinity. Nobody that I know of would 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 repudiate the idea that the incarnate Christ submits himself right. to the Father. And of course, that's part of the important move, I think, for I, I hate to use the word complementarian now, to be honest, because I think it's become it's become so corrupted. Mm-hmm. But that's the important move for complementarianism, for want of a better word, because the Bible does draw an analogy between the relationship of Christ to his father in terms of men to women. First Corinthians 11 would be an example, yeah. but he's talking there about the incarnate Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you go to Ephesians to look at how Christ should uh, relate to the church. Interestingly enough, Christ there does not... Um, is not patterned after the woman. Christ actually is right. the man in that situation, that mm-hmm. husbands are meant to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it's vitally important that we understand that Paul there is refracting his understanding of headship through the cross. Mm-hmm. We're not going back to some, for want of a better term, naked ontological thing. Right based on the Trinity. We're talking here, Paul's talking there about a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And the incarnate, economic, crucis-centric aspects of Christ are therefore vital, I think, in understanding mm-hmm. male headship. Yeah. So why then would, um, you know, one of the, the fears and accusations that have been argued against us is that uh, we're we're slipping away from complementarianism and we must not care about male headship and maybe we even are trying to push something like female ordination and things closet like that. Closet feminists. Yeah, yeah. yeah, closet feminists. It's 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 rhetorical cheap shotting. It's scaremongering. Uh, I, I think it's it's almost unworthy of a response. Uh, you know, if you build your position on a bad argument, mm-hmm. it is not my fault if your position falls apart. Right. You know, if you want to build a case for biblical complementarianism, do it on 
Genesis 1 and 2. Do it on the clear text in the New Testament. Don't do it on a revised speculative doctrine of the Trinity that then requires a second speculative move to connect it to male-female relationships. So my response is, I don't think I've moved I'm a I'm a male headship in the family guy, and I'm a male only ordination guy. I've never built my arguments on speculative understandings of the Trinity. Right. I've built them on the biblical text. You choose to build your position on a bad foundation. Don't blame me if your house falls into the ocean. Right, mm-hmm. and that's and 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 I think you summed it up well there for those who are are, are maybe confused by the various voices in this thing because there has been on social media these I, I think you're absolutely right in calling them rhetorical sh- cheap shots um, accusing us and others of being egalitarians and closet feminists that's just dishonest and it's a slander um, because I, it seems to me um, the uh, the actual uh, fuel for their debate is is falling through it's being built on on bad theology and 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 as pastors we're concerned about that when we see now popular treatments through various ministries and 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 through a book um advancing a um a doctrine of the trinity that departs from what the church has uh, affirmed since, as you mentioned earlier, 381, um, a, a doctrine of the Trinity which I affirm in, in my ordination exams for the PCA. I mean, I was examined over the difference between the ontological and economic Trinity. And so when we see those distinctions being done away with um, in popular treatments, then we're going to respond, and we should respond. Yeah. Let me set something up, and I'm going to ask Amy for her opinion on this. I think also as, as pastors... Uh, we are, to some extent, uh, watchmen. I'm throwing that image out there because I really want this episode to end with a clip of Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower. Hint, <laughs> 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 hint to the production team. Yes. Uh, I, we are watchmen. It is, our response, it is our responsibility to respond to the problems as we come across them in our sphere. And I am convinced that in the conservative Presbyterian world within which I operate, the problem I face is not people running around wanting to ordain a lot of women. Right. I think the problem I face is men influenced by a mixture of bad teaching that verges on patriarchy and quite probably secret indulgence on pornography mm. that women are objects and chattels to be treated like pieces of property. That, I think, is more likely to be the problem I face in my world. And therefore, it's against that kind of thing that I have to react. Maybe I sound a bit egalitarian because I'm always harping on the abuses of patriarchy. But frankly, it's that that I see in my world more than I see egalitarianism. Amy, well, what do you think of that? Yes, absolutely. And and as a shepherd over the souls in, in your church, I think that one thing that can come out of this as well is to really teach what headship means and what it doesn't mean and and why we have headship. I mean, what does the Bible say about that? Um, to talk about household missions and household codes and, and, and how they've remained the same and how they've changed some in those passages in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 from the Greco 
Roman household social structures. So I, I think that there's a lot there that um, pastors and elders can glean from this to see what needs to be taught more in their churches. And I do agree that the, the, the problem doesn't seem to be in in the OPC realm anyway, uh, women wanting to be ordained or men saying that women should be ordained. But, um, you know, women wanting to serve well in the church and, and wanting to know how they can do that better and, and also the abuses that are there in, in patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've expressed our concern about patriarchy in the past. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a twisted thing, and our concern about, about some corners of, of, of the complementarian community out there is sounding more and more like patriarchy and i share carl's concern on the word complementarian if i mean i've i've always embraced it as a good word because i thought it you know did a decent way of reflecting what's described in in scripture but my my fear is that now it's becoming so identified with this uh, innovative doctrine of the trinity we'll call it innovative as as a euphemism i guess um it's becoming so identified with that that i, I don't want to be identified with that word now it's like I have to come up with a new word right. to affirm what the Bible says about the roles of men and women so that I don't get identified with really sloppy Trinitarian doctrine. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem. You, know, you get these highly partisan debates set up. You get binary oppositions being set up and you get a polarization, which means that anybody who won't conform with the specific uh, categories that those driving the debate have decided are the only categories that can operate. Yeah. If you don't agree with those, then you know, both sides see you as selling out or yeah. both sides yeah. see you as hopelessly compromised. Yeah. Um, there was an article in First Things some months ago calling for the abolition of the term heterosexual. It's quite a clever article, <laughs> really saying that, that the way the whole sexuality debate is being set up is, is not helpful to the way we think about things. And I think one could perhaps draw an analogy here. Maybe the complementarian egalitarian polarity is not necessarily the most helpful way of approaching this. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. made the pitch constantly in this program for saying the real issue is male-only ordination and male headship in the household. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have to be careful, particularly in the latter, the way we construct it, that we don't import too much of North American white 1950s male culture into our definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and I think another real issue that maybe we have been accused of and, and don't believe along with that is that we certainly believe that there's distinction in gender. I mean, we just yep. had a bully pulpit on the sexual revolution, and um, we certainly believe in a distinctness in femaleness and maleness. Yep. But I think when you try to... Um, micromanage all the different ways of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, you can really get into some serious error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, and you know, just on the, on the, the theological, the troubling theological grounding of these distinctions back into uh, the Trinitarian relations. I, I, uh, Douglas Kelly has, has um, uh, written well on um, supporting the, uh, uh, the church fathers in their understanding of the difference between the ontological and economic trinities. And in, in his uh, volume one, in his systematic theology, he references, for instance, John chapter 14, verse 28, where Jesus said, the Father is greater than I. And that's one of those texts 
that will be pulled upon by some who advance mm-hmm. the eternal subordination of the sun. But Kelly's great on this. He's, he says that if you, if, if, quote, if, if you read it back into the essence of God, you, you make Christ an inferior deity. And he goes on, he says that the Orthodox fathers showed that texts like that are to be understood not ontologically, but economically. Um, and, and that's indicated uh, in, in the very context of those passages themselves. And so, again, we're warning that you cannot build these, um, uh, th- these ideas of, our, of, of the distinctions between male and female and, and male headship in, in the home and, and ordination. You cannot build them on the Trinitarian yeah. relations. Yeah. You can't Well, even it. economically, if you try to compare that then to men and women, it, that analogy doesn't go very well. I mean, on the other side of the cross, as theologians of the cross, we see that male headship has been changed. And they're supposed to lay down their own lives for yeah. women. Yeah. And think of the women as more important as them, their wives. So Yeah, and, just... and, and I see in the current debate that there's not enough of an emphasis placed on that. That's yeah. just my impression. This is this is where when we do premarital counseling in my church or when I'm talking to people whose marriages are in some difficulty, I always make the point it's not a marriage is not a fifty fifty game. Mm-hmm. The man has more responsibility. But yeah. it's not the responsibility of throwing his weight around. It's the responsibility of sacrifice. Right. So anyway, well I'm absolutely 100 million percent confident, more than I've ever been before, that nobody whatsoever will take any exception to anything we've said today. Awesome. So, yeah. so having solved all of the problems with the Trinity vis-a-vis complementarianism, I'm very happy to thank everyone for listening and say we look forward to being with you next time. There must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman there Drink my wine Come and dig my earth None will level on the mine Nobody of it is worth Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. This week at mortificationofspin.org, we're offering a free PDF booklet to our listeners entitled, How to Be Happy as a Family by James Boyce. When you live in the state of matrimony, do you live in a democracy or a dictatorship? To learn more about this topic, head over and find out. And come back next week for a discussion on what takes priority, one-on-one discipleship, group Bible studies, counseling, or preaching. What do we believe is happening there? And I think if, if you have a low view of the preached word, you know, you think, oh, you know, what couple things can I peck out of this that apply to my life right now personally? And if I don't get that, then, um, you know, I could get that better maybe in a conversation with a godly person or um, through some counseling or, you know, that will really change my life. Oftentimes, my experience has been there can be some confusion over the primacy of preaching. How often do we hear, oh, well, you know, we don't want to just preach a sermon at them. Or, you know, being with somebody where you can really talk about it is so much better than just hearing somebody preach a sermon at you. 
Well, we take exception with that. Join us for that conversation next time. And don't forget to read, comment, and subscribe to the Mortification of Spin blog. And to go and read How to Be Happy as a Family by James Boyce. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, so it's henna stories. Well, of course it is. Todd uses them all the time. Maybe we should, maybe <laughs> maybe we should speak from experience. Oh, so, man. They're beautiful, and they look great on me. So. They do. Okay. You get even e-books for sharing the gospel with henna. Yeah. <laughs> I got I it. I wonder what, how my congregation would react if I had one of those on my hand. <laughs> I, you know, I'd be I'd be willing to give you about fifty bucks if you did that. So. <laughs> if I can get it for twenty five bucks, I'll take the fifty bucks from you. <laughs> <25 bucks. laughs>